Welcome to HII Talking Points, a Huntington Ingalls Industries podcast. Twice a quarter, we'll sit down with HII leaders to discuss topics of interest in our company and industry. I'm Phoebe Richards, and today I'm talking with Dwayne Blake, HI Corporate Vice President of Investor Relations. Thanks for joining Talking Points. It's great to have you. Thanks for having me. So, investor relations is a broad topic and a job function that our listeners might not know the ins and outs of. So, today I'd like to explore investor relations and your role in the company. So, to start, let's talk a little about the investor relations department and what it does for the company. So, what does a typical day look like for you? So uh, this is a great time to ask that question because we just finished our second quarter earnings process and uh, typical day getting ready for that's been pretty uh, hectic over the last several, um, I guess last six to eight weeks. Uh, it takes a fair amount of planning and uh, lots of activities to, uh, to prepare for, uh, for that one hour call. Right. And so, um, you know, as a small staff, so we're a, a team of two. And uh, right now I'm actually uh, using uh, one of the guys from over at Newport News because I'm in the process of hiring a replacement for my director. And so uh, I give a shout out to Eric Udovich, who's done a great job uh, helping uh, fill the void here for the last couple of quarters and uh, really been, been a really helpful uh, add to the team. Um, so basically as, uh, as we prepare for the earnings process, it's, um, you know, uh, again, pretty comprehensive and as I mentioned it's a one-hour call but uh, we've got basically a couple of documents that we really prepare to get ready for that one being the uh, the press release and that press release that uh, gets prepared uh, you know it's what 12 or 13 pages but the work that goes into getting ready for that you'd never imagine but uh, just to make sure that everything is you know 100% accurate complete and uh, and so we make sure that everything that goes into that document is is correct. Uh, similarly, with uh, regard to the uh, scripts for the CEO and the CFO, um, we are you know very keen on the content, you know the messaging, um, and making sure that everything that's in those documents and in their statements, their opening remarks, is um, accurate, complete, you know consistent, not misleading, consistent with the messaging, uh, et cetera. And so all of that, um, you know, and then as well as the, there's a presentation that gets posted along with that. So all the, all a part of the, uh, the process to get ready for the, the big earnings call. Um, in addition to that, we go through a uh, very comprehensive question and answer deck. Um, you know, we've got a couple of, one is like 30 some pages and tons of questions. And, and one of the things that we try to do, and, and uh, Mike Petters is a advocate of this, is that we want to make sure that, Analysts aren't asking us a question that we haven't already asked ourselves, right? So you don't want to get caught flat-footed and you want to have thought about it and have a good clean answer that you can put forth. So we, we go through the, you know, the Q&A prep, uh, very disciplined process. We get all of the information from the segments as well as from the corporate office. So we get a, you know, you name it, you name the subject and we've got a, a prepared question and answer on it. So. All of that's been going on, as I mentioned, about uh, you know six to eight weeks to get ready for the one-hour call, and then the the uh, the fun that I have uh, is right after the call. Uh, usually starts about ten thirty, so the calls from nine to ten, and then I get on the calls with the uh, sales side analysts, all the guys that are trying to prepare their reports so they can issue them shortly after the uh, the call, and so I'm on the thirty-minute calls with them. Uh, this most recent. Uh, 
process, we had uh, 10 out of my 12 analysts. I had 30-minute calls. So I was on the call on the phone from, you know, 1030 until 4 o'clock nonstop for the most part. And so, uh, but it's good because you want to make sure that they understood what was heard uh, and if they got clarification or want to get some additional information for building their models, which is really what their focus is. Mm -hmm. That's what it's all about. So, you know, so this is kind of my, the typical six-week uh, not a typical day, but it's a typical six-week process to get ready for that. And uh, it's pretty intense, uh, but it's a lot of fun, too, because it gives you the full insight in terms of what's going on within the company. So you know everything that's going on because, you know, you know if there's information out in the press, for example, what's going on with the budgets, what's going on with the programs, um, you know, where are we investing our money from a capital perspective. I mean, we've got to know everything about all of that stuff. So we... Uh, really really cue in on all of that to make sure that uh, we can share that insight with uh, with the street and also be careful because we have to be uh, in compliance with our regulation FD uh, from a fair disclosures perspective and making sure that we're not providing information to you know these guys uh, on these one-on-one -on -one calls that I mentioned that's not available to the general public so that's also something that we're keenly aware of and keenly focused on. So you talk with analysts about earnings, and then you also talk with them on a regular basis. So how do we as a company ensure analysts are up to date on what's happening at HII year round? And then how do you manage their expectations? Yeah, so year round, I mean, it's a, uh, you know, it's an ongoing process. Uh, you know, when there are press releases that go out, you know, communications team, you know, whatever they're sending out, uh, I'm always prepared to, you know, field a question on those on those types of things. But, you know, from a proactive perspective, you know, we have the, the interaction with these guys after the earnings calls. And then we also have the opportunity to meet with um, in both investors and analysts um, during a couple of uh, opportunities. One, uh, the uh, sales side analysts host conferences. And so we tend to participate in several of those during the year. So we get a chance to meet with the sell side analysts and then they'll have uh, folks from the buy side and the investment community that will participate. So we get a chance to meet with those individuals in one-on-one -on -one meetings, which typically run 30 to 45 minute sessions. And so we get a chance to talk about the business, what's going on from a strategic perspective, where the financial performance has been kind of the high level outlook for the company. So we're always, you know, talking about, you know, where the company is and where it's headed, uh, all within the construct of the, as we put out the path to 2020 strategy, which uh, gave the uh, community a five year look ahead in terms of where we're going. And so, uh, and making sure that what we're talking about and how we're updating them is consistent with that, uh, that messaging. And, uh, and so we, you know, try to manage that and uh, make sure that we're uh, we're on point with that. And in, in terms of managing expectations, it's all about uh, execution and delivering on what you've put out there. So we put the path to 2020 strategy out there, uh, and we are basically trying to make sure that you know from an execution standpoint, Ingles, Newport News, Technical Solutions uh, are meeting those uh, those um, expectations that we put out there. And uh, each quarter, you know, we basically get a report card, right? and we get a chance to see uh, and report out to the street how we're performing. And if we don't make the mark, guess what? You know, the stock doesn't perform well. Right. And if we exceed, then the stock does perform well. So mm -hmm. it's kind of uh, interesting where you get kind of real-time grading, if you will, on your performance. And the other thing that's kind of interesting about it is, you know, sometimes, you know, your stock performance isn't necessarily a direct result of the things that you control. 
uh, it's market influences, it's, you know, things that are going on in the broader uh, economy, geopolitical issues, you know, what's going on in Washington, politics, all of that uh, can affect the market. And sometimes we have absolutely nothing to do with that, but yet it causes our stock to either go up or down. So mm-hmm. that's just another factor as I'm, you know, having to explain why the stock performs the way that it does sometimes. You know, sometimes it, uh, the answer is, you know, it's, you know, outside of, uh, you know, the specific things that we're doing. So let's take a step back. Who owns HII stock? Yeah, so we've got uh, over 600 institutional investors. Um, and um, when you look at the composition, you know, the top three uh, investors are uh, Vanguard, uh, State Street, and Fidelity. And uh, those three firms own about 25% of our shares. And so, uh, and those are typical, you know, top shareholders in a lot of companies across the country. Um, when you look at the makeup of the, of the uh, styles of investors, uh, we've got about 37% of the investors that are index funds, uh, which are the Vanguard, State Streets, Black Rocks, those types. Uh, we've got, you know, 17% that are labeled as growth at reasonable prices or GARP. Uh, and then you've got another 11% that are true growth uh, investors, another 12% of value investors, and then we've got another 23% that are hedge funds and other styles. So that's kind of the composition. But one other point I'd like to make to the listeners is that uh, they may not realize this, but uh, the uh, shareholders of Huntington Ingalls um, that are the most important ones in our book are the employees. And they are actually somewhere in the top three or four. They hold about 2.2 million shares. And, uh, and so we really want to make sure that employees realize that they are, in fact, key shareholders and that the decisions that they make on a day-to-day basis in terms of their work and their execution of their, their responsibilities has an influence on the stock that they are owning. And so uh, it's something that uh, people don't think about, but uh, to try to make that point so people can realize that, you know, they do have uh, skin in the game and uh, they're part of the part of the, the ownership of, uh, of the company. Certainly. So would you say, you know, Vanguard, Fidelity, our own employees, is that a healthy mix for HII's term, in terms of who's owning stock? It is. Um, we, we look at uh, benchmarking and we look at the, the makeup and, you know, as I walk through those different styles of investors, you know, they're all relatively consistent with, uh, with our peer group because that's what we tend to do is to kind of look at how do we stack up uh, against our peer group. And so uh, when we look at them, uh, you know, each of those categories are relatively consistent. So that uh, gives me some comfort that we're not out of the box in terms of, uh, you know, being a fair uh, distribution of the ownership. Right. So in terms of shareholders and analysts, what are some of the most common questions you field? So it's interesting uh, that uh, a lot of the questions, and I'll, I'll reference uh, this most recent earnings call because we just, uh, it's all fresh uh, in our mind. Um, when you look at the things that folks are trying to use to help build their models, trying to understand where the business is going. So, you know, we uh, talked about the fact that, and we mentioned this on the, uh, on the Q4 call where we introduced the first, for the first time, growth in shipbuilding. Right. And we talked about uh, we were expecting three uh, percent uh, compound annual growth rate over the next five years. So between 2018 and 2022. 
And so now people are wanting to, to understand, okay, is that 3% now more than 3% given some of the things that are happening, some of the things that they're hearing in terms of uh, budgets in Washington and this uh, commitment from the Navy in terms of, uh, you know, the, the 355 ship Navy and, and all of that. So, um, you know, we have to remind them that, okay, you know, yes, there's some positive developments out there, but this is a risk adjustment or risk adjusted number. And so we uh, tend to take into consideration things like, you know, uh, continuing resolutions, programmatic, programmatic delays and things of that nature that can uh, cause, you know, all the perfect plans to be uh, just a little bit off. So um, kind of give them a little bit of pushback on that front. That's one of the key questions they're always asking. Where this, What's the sales forecast? What's the top lines? Where are margins going? You know, we've introduced uh, on the Q1 call uh, where we reset the expectations in terms of where uh, margins are going to be for shipbuilding. Uh, so the historical uh, margins for shipbuilding, and we talk about this and have been talking about this, about this since we spun, was that uh, kind of the healthy range is like nine to ten percent? What we did in the Q1 call was reset those expectations to be more like seven to nine percent for 2018 and 2019, mainly because the mix of work at Newport News is uh, more weighted towards early production, which tends to be booked at a lower margin. And so we put that out there. So now everybody wants to know, okay, you know, we had one quarter where, you know, shipbuilding was higher than that. So now everybody wants to say, well, you're going to reset that? No, we put this, we put this out there. And, uh, and so we, you know, we feel those questions, um, you know, and, you know, the, they're always asking about, you know, free cash flow, you know, pension contributions, um, you know, CVN 79 is another hot topic. Um, you know, they want to understand how that, progress is going what's the performance looking like uh we added actually added a little extra color commentary in mike's script this quarter to uh, provide some insights in terms of how the units are coming together and the focus of the team in terms of their march towards launch uh, by the end of next year which is their goal and so we wanted to make sure that the you know community understood that um you know where we stand and the fact that uh, so far so good things are progressing along well but um you know still got a lot of hard work ahead of us so you know those are the i guess if you want to put them as the top questions are kind of the things that folks are focused on right so how do you balance investors needs with our long-term company goals so as a company that uh, has a probably the longest horizon of uh, most companies and you look at investors horizons which tend not necessarily to be very long uh, much shorter in nature so uh, it's a matter of uh, laying out the expectations and we've uh, we've done that in the form of our uh, path to 2020 strategy we basically said okay here's what we're going to do over the next five years we're going to invest 1.5 now 1.8 billion dollars of capital into our facilities you know we're going to return substantially all free cash flow uh, to our shareholders through uh, share repurchases and dividend increases of at least 10 percent each year and then we're going to optimize and expand our uh, services business uh, and we'll do that in a very disciplined and uh, focused way if we find uh, targets that are out there that make sense and so we laid that out, uh, and uh, and it's now a matter of you know basically you know delivering on those expectations, um, you know, because you know investors, you know, they expect you know folks to you know when they put expectations out there, and we, when they put an outlook out there, they expect you to meet it, and in many cases they expect you to exceed it because they know that uh, you know from a planning perspective, tend, people tend to be conservative, but uh, you know it's a matter of you know 
execution, execution, execution. You know, the more that, you know, the shipbuilding guys can, you know, deliver on their schedules, that they can, you know, uh, deliver on the, you know, negotiate good contracts, allow us to, you know, execute with, uh, you know, reasonable um, uh, sales and margin expectations. And, uh, and so that's really what it boils down to, uh, laying out the expectations and then executing. Mm-hmm. So we read in the news stories about activist investors. Can you talk a little bit about what an activist investor is and if HII would ever be at risk for one? Yeah, so basically when you think about in activists, you know, they're in essence agitating for change. You know, they see um, in their view opportunity for better returns, you know, from their perspective. And so they tend to, you know, begin to acquire stock in that particular company and uh, that will give them the ability to, you know, uh, have their views, have more prominence over other people's views. And uh, and so as they are, you know, putting their uh, views out there, uh, it's a matter of, you know, the company, you know, responding or not responding or choosing how to respond and dealing with that uh, with that viewpoint. You know, for us, uh, you know, the fact that we do have such a long horizon, we've got, you know, a key partnership with the Navy, um, you know, so the risk of activism for us is relatively low. Uh, we actually have monitoring services out there and we have information out there that I can pull today to see how we're stacking up on key metrics that flag you for the activism risk. So I'm always watching for that. Uh, and then we also have uh, a pre- preset uh, activism plan in place with uh, communications plans and uh, you know basically a lot of activities all pre-staged and ready to go if in fact something were to come our way so you know i don't really see it as a as a key risk but you know it's better to be prepared uh just in case uh and so i really um you know it's something that's uh, in the news a lot uh tend to be high visibility uh folks that get involved in that but uh you know, I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, we'll stay under the radar and uh, continue to keep our heads down and keep executing and uh, keep delivering the long-term shareholder value that, uh, that our shareholders deserve. Definitely. So last question. Um, HII was recently selected to be on the Standard & Poor's 500, S&P 500. So what are the attributes that the S&P 500 uses to select companies? And then what does HI have to do to like stay on the list? Yeah, so it's a committee, uh, S&P uh, 500 committee, and they've got several um, criteria that they focus on, uh, market capitalization, uh, liquidity metrics, um, U.S. domicile, obviously, um, sector classification, financial viability, um, length of time publicly traded, uh, so those types of uh, those types of things, and so when you look at the evolution of uh, Huntington Ingalls since we spun in 2011, you look at our credit profile and the financial strength and stability. Uh, it was kind of a natural um, uh, evolution that we kind of marched and we kind of satisfied all of those requirements, and uh, and the door was opened and uh, we were able to come in. And uh, now it's a matter again is you know keeping our balance sheet. Uh, in a place where it continues to you know support those metrics uh, continue to execute and do the things that we need to need to do uh, you know long term to maintain the financial uh, health of the business and uh, that's really what it's all about wow great well great discussion Uh, mr blake thank you for opening the world of investor relations for us today thoroughly enjoyed it thanks for having me
Thanks for listening to HII Talking Points. This podcast was produced by Huntington Ingalls Industries Corporate Communications Team. We welcome your feedback and ideas for future podcasts at www.huntingtoningles.com slash podcast.